Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. If you take your copy of God's Word out and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 4, 1 Samuel chapter 4, I'm on, I'm on, uh, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but outside of those doors, unless we ran out, we didn't run out, did we? We didn't run out. So outside of those doors, we got ice cream for you. So uh, we got a, yeah, 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 you can get, yeah, it's okay. It's not unspiritual to give a hand clap for offering. So we got ice cream. If you're excited about ice cream, come on, let me hear you. I would be, I'd be clapping. But uh, Jesus on the inside and ice cream on the outside. So part of, part of that, let me tell you why, why we got ice cream. First of all, sometimes it's just fun to do. Um, but the other, the other part is, is, is those are some of our, our group's leaders, our tribe, our tribe leaders. And um, it's just really, really, really important to us as a church um, as we continue to grow, right? So God, God's blessing, and we have multiple services now across, well, we have, but multiple services across multiple locations. And um, as much as I would love to, I can't, I can't know everybody. Our pastors can't know everybody. You can't know everybody, right? But you, can, but you could know eight, you could know 10, you could know 12. And so it's just really important to us that um, you come to CFA, that first of all, you get to know Jesus, so that's what we preach here. If you're, if you're new, we just keep preaching that Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus fills, and Jesus calls. We just try to, try, try to pe- preach Jesus. But um, Jesus himself said, he, him, he himself said that the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor. So Jesus says it's important to love me, but it's also important to have friends. And, and uh, the Apostle Paul said, we were delighted to share with you not only uh, the gospel, but our lives as well. And so we want you to come to CFA and experience God, but we want you to have some friends. We want you to have people to sit with. We want you to, to get to know people that when life does kind of sucker punch you, you've got a tribe that's going to rally around you, lift you up in prayer, be there for you. We need, to, we need a, a good circle of good voices. So we've got like over 150 uh, groups or tribes. You can go to cfachurch.com slash groups. There's activity groups and study groups and, and and uh, support groups and all these different things. But we would encourage you, if you haven't yet, to find your tribe. We say find your tribe. Do something you love with people you love. And, and we believe that that's going to help. Uh, the, that's the glue. That's part of the glue that keeps us connected together as a church. And then I just want to tell you, as your pastor, how incredibly proud I am of you for how you're going in on these 10 days of prayer. Come on, where are my prayer warriors at? We've been, we've been here early. You've been getting up at like 5 in the morning, being here at 6 in the morning. And if you haven't had a chance, uh, join us. Join us. So we'll be online on Monday on Facebook Live. Pastor John down at Center City. Shout out to Center City fam down there. Uh, Pastor John will be bringing us a Devo on Facebook Live on Monday morning. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, we'll finish strong here. And then first Wednesday at all of our locations. Man, come, come to that first Wednesday. And we're believing for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, in that. So just thank you for that. Let me give you w- this one little nugget on 10 days of prayer before we get into the word. Um, and just a note about fasting. Maybe you want to screenshot this and then kind of uh, process it later. But, but 
I'm going to say it like this, that we live, we live in an oversaturated, overstimulated, oversexed, oversugared society. We accumulate more and more while simultaneously experiencing less and less joy. We recognize this, but what do we do? There's minimalist movements. There's popular books. Uh, uh, Essentialism, I've read it. It's on the New York Times bestseller list. It's good. It's fine. But the problem with these solutions is that they are natural answers to a spiritual problem. Okay, so, so watch this. Now, the problem isn't just that I have too much stuff. It's that I want too much stuff. So you can take my shoes, but I'm going to want more shoes. You can take my car, but I'm going to want a newer car. You can take my house and put me in a tiny house, but I'm going to want that tiny house and a regular size house. Because i got kids, and I'm not trying to raise kids in 500 square feet. Can I get an amen? Parents, we need some space sometimes. And so you can take my stuff, but I'm, I'm going to want more stuff because the problem is not my stuff. The problem is my soul. So spiritual problems need spiritual solutions. And here's what fasting will do. Fasting will reset your soul so that the simple pleasures of life give you joy once again. And can I encourage some of you, maybe you've never tried this before, over the next couple of days as we, as we finish strong with this 10 days of prayer to add a layer of fasting. So what fasting is, is giving up either partial or full food for a set period of time so that you can give that time and attention to prayer. Uh, Dr. Elmer Towns has written the best book that I've ever read on the subject. It's called Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough. If you want some additional resource, I highly recommend that. And um, let me just tell you, here's what's going to happen. If you, For instance, if you fast three days, um, you're going to fast breakfast and lunch the first day. And you're probably not, now God can do anything, you're probably not going to get a breakthrough by lunch on the first day. Here's what's going to happen by lunch on the first day. You're going to be angry, you're going to be grumpy, and you're going to be hungry. I'm just being real with you. So like, so, so like uh, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better, but keep going and God will replace those physical hunger pains with spiritual hunger pains. And you'll find yourself being more attuned to the presence of God and um, not only the spiritual blessings, but I promise you when you break that fast, it's going to be the best meal that you ever had in your life. So there's that. I want to just encourage you, encourage you with that and, and uh, allow that fasting to kind of reset your soul. And I believe that God will pour out some, some additional blessing for you for that. But I want to preach. I want to preach um, in a little bit. I'm going to try and move fast uh, in our t- the rest of our time together. But I want to preach about empty temples. I want to preach about empty temples. 1 Samuel chapter 4. In 1889, there was an artist, a sculptor, a uh, painter by the name of Vincent Van Gogh and and um, you know uh, maybe one of his works, Starry Night, is one of his more famous works. But in 1889, he was in uh, really a, a, an insane asylum. Um, he was going through all kinds of depression and an- anxieties. Just we know, we, we know Van Gogh is also famous for removing an ear. I would not recommend that. It, it's not going to sell your paintings. It's not. Like, keep your ear and just develop your skill set in a better way than that. But, put, like, Van Gogh, was, Van Gogh was searching. And so what he would do is during the night, there were bars on his uh, window, and he would stare out in the village of St. Remy there, and, and he would look into the stars. And we know a little bit more about this period of Van 
Van Gogh's life and the history and the backstory of the painting because while he was painting this, um, he was simultaneously writing letters to his brother. So he would stare out the window at night into the stars and overlooking the village. And then he would take that mental image and he would paint during the day. But one of the things that he wrote during, during this time to his brother is he says, my soul is longing for, and he used the word, he used this word. He said, my soul is longing for religion. And I think that was Van Gogh's inability to put into words what he was really longing for. If you would allow me to translate that probably better, he says, I'm longing for Jesus. I'm longing for something. Like I'm, I'm depressed, I'm dark, it's confusing, but I'm, but I'm longing for light. I'm longing for hope. I'm longing for answers. And even though he didn't know it, he was longing for Jesus. And he's, he's painting, he's trying to paint this expression of light and this expression of hope. So you see the, the light in the stars and you see the light in some of the homes. But I want you to notice this nuance of this painting. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but lights are on in the sky and lights are on in some of the homes of the village but I want you to notice where light is not on. There is no light, as he says, I'm looking for answers, I'm looking for something, and there's no light in the church. And I think it's an expression, I think it's a metaphor for us that the very thing that his soul was longing for and that he should have found the answers, he wasn't finding the answers. And I never want to be a church where people walk in these doors and they walk in hurting and they walk in broken and they walk in hungry and they say, oh, that was a nice song and I enjoyed the lights and pastor, that was not, that was a nice talk, but I didn't, I didn't experience anything. It was an empty temple. And can I remind you that the church is not this building, but the church is you and that the church is me. And I never want to be the kind of Christian that, again, is walking into hurt and brokenness of a culture and in society. And people are looking at us and they say, I don't get it. You say you're a Christian. I don't get it. You go to church. You say you read your, your Bible. But, but where's the joy in you? Where's the hope in you? Where's the power in you? Where's the light in you? I never want to be an empty temple. I want to be a temple that's filled with God's presence and that when people need answers, we've got the answer and it is pointing to Jesus. That's what we want to be. We want to be full of his presence and that's what these 10 days are about. It's praying the prayer of Moses in Exodus chapter 33. God, don't send me anywhere unless your very presence goes with us. It's the act of David, one of the first acts of David when he stepped into being king. David said, I'm not going to be a dad. I'm not going to be a husband. I'm not going to lead. I'm not going to be a student. I'm not going to build buildings. I'm not going to win wars. I'm not going to, to do anything else until I get the very presence of God. And so one of the first acts that David did is David said, see, for a period of time in Jerusalem, there was a temple where they were going about the routine of religion, but the temple was an empty temple because the ark wasn't in the temple. The presence of God was, wasn't in the temple. And David said, we're not going to do empty temples. We're going to make sure that we have the power and the presence of God. And he brought in the ark of God, which in the Old Testament, the ark was the representation. It was the physical representation of the presence of God. Now, we don't have the ark today because of Jesus. You know what the ark is? You're the ark. Tell your neighbor, you're the ark. 
You're the ark. We're the ark. We are the, we're the carriers of the presence of God. And so there was a time period where Israel lost the light. They lost the presence. They were living as empty temples. We don't want to do that. We don't want to become, uh, one theologian, A.W. Tozer, said it like this, and, and this was back in the 60s. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn, he was talking about just the American church. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and nobody would know the difference. Say, ouch. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. And we want to be a church. We want to be a people of God that says something like this. God, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. Don't you want people to look at you and say, like, they're okay, but I don't get how they're so blessed unless the Holy Spirit moved through them. Like, they're an okay mom, but how'd their kids turn out so great? Like, they're an okay businessman, but how's their business doing that? And we get the chance to point to God and say it's because of Jesus and all glory to God. So how do we, how do we come, become people of that? We lose the light. Let me give you three things. This is how Israel lost it, and we don't want to do this. We lose the light. Number one, when we treat God as our good luck charm. When we treat God as our good luck charm. So the Israelites were going into battle with the Philistines and the Israelites were getting, they were getting all hype. They were like the football team in the locker room. They were giving pregame speeches that were getting everybody psyched up and they come bursting out of the locker room and at the end of the first half they're down 43 to nothing and end up losing the game 72 to 3. That's what, that's what happened. I don't want to be that team. I don't want to be that team that gets hyped in the locker room but doesn't have any oomph to back it up on the field. And, and, and that's what happened to the Israelites. The Israelites were like, we got the ark. We got the presence of God. And they started walking all cocky, and the Philistines are scared, and the Israelites are shouting, and the Philistines are running in fear. And then the game starts, and the Israelites got, got crushed. And not only did they get crushed, they lost 30,000 people. And the reason was because they had this outward appearance, but they didn't have an inner reality. And I never want to be a people that, again, just walks through ritual that just takes for granted, that just takes for granted. Oh, God's going to show up because that's what he does. God's going to bless because that's what he does, and he does, but I never want to take it for granted. I never want to be a people that, that we don't give glory to God, that we don't say thank you to God, that we don't make him the center of our homes and our families and our businesses, and, and we do that with prayer, and we do that with the tithe, and we do that with all of these things that say, God, I'm not just going to call on you like when I need you. I'm going to call on you every day of my life, and then we can lose the ark when we're upset at where the world is headed, but we don't actively engage the next generation. And so this was what happened to Eli. Eli was the priest at the time when the ark was lost. And Eli, Eli is an interesting character, y'all. He really is. If you look at the life of, of Eli, like for all intents and purposes, if you study him, like the guy really did love God. It really seems like he, he loved God and he, and he wanted to do what was right and, and God used him in some areas and, and he was very upset at the wrong ways of worship. But where Eli messed up is, is his sons were punks. Like Hophni and Phinehas, if you read some of the stuff that they did, no person, whether they were priests or not, should ever be doing on the stuff that they did. And it wasn't. And so Eli, like he loved God, but he didn't pass it on to the next generation. Now hear me. Moms, dads, grandparents, uh, 
I'm not talking about that you did everything that you could to raise your son or daughter or your grandkids right, and they walked away from, from the Lord. Because there are many in that situation, and we are standing with you, and we are praying with you, and we are believing with you, and we are fasting with you that they are, that the, the prodigal will come home, and the sons and the daughters will come home. But here, this is different. This is not that. Eli, for like 80 or 90 years of his life, like almost intentionally neglected, I'm not going to call out the wrong that my kids are doing, and I'm not even going to deal with it. And it's like he just turned a blind eye to it. And I never want to be a church that says, I'm in it for me and my preferences and what I like, but we don't care about the next generation. We don't do that at CFA. We want to intentionally engage the next generation. I love so, so many of our morning prayer uh, times. One of my favorite kind of moments, it was kind of an unplanned moment. And, um, and, and uh, it was Wednesday. And uh, Pastor, Pastor Wesley got here. And we've had, by the way, it's been amazing. So parents, I don't know if you have bribed or threatened or a combination of both. But, like, it's been amazing, the 18 and under students that we've had during prayer. Like, it's been so cool. It's been, it's been just amazing. Uh, so many of our Southeastern college students, you're like, well, that's part of their grade. No, it isn't. It's not, like, we don't make them come. They come because they want to be here. And then so many high school students and so many junior, junior high students and, and younger students. And, and I loved even this morning people walking around with their, they were walking around. There was a dad walking around, and his little toddler was just kind of following. And, and, and I love this because the toddler didn't know what was going on, but don't tell me he wasn't getting something. Uh, 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 our, our, uh, one of our evangelists is here. Pastor Joe Phillips is here. And I, I remember the days uh, his son reached out to me uh, this week and said, remember those 6 a.m. prayer. And I, I said, yeah, I remember those, those days. And, and it was Monday morning, and we would have three services on Sunday and then another one in the evening. And then we were back here for prayer. And Pastor Joe would bring, was bring his kids. And, and Joseph, Joseph was in third grade or fourth grade, and, and he wasn't necessarily at the altar lifting his hands. And in fact, Joseph reminded me of this. Joseph reminded me that he would walk in with his pillow and blanket and be like under, we used to have pews. And so he was like under the pew at that time. And so you say, well, well, he wasn't getting anything. No, don't tell me he wasn't getting anything because he's a pastor in Charlotte today and he's stepping into a, into a culture and he's preaching the word of God. And I'm thankful, I'm thankful that he had parents and he's thankful that he had parents that brought him around the things of God even when there wasn't a children's ministry right now we've got amazing we've got amazing children's ministries amazing youth ministries bring them every time the doors are open because I need all the help I can get I'm gonna bring my kids to 365 I'm gonna bring my kids to kids world and I'm so thankful for that but we don't want to do drop-off discipleship where I drop my kid off at 365 and say to Pastor Justin and Pastor Alex you got them for an hour and 15 minutes I'm gonna go to cookout fix them like, that isn't going to work. We need to step into the lives of our kids. We need to be leading the way and, and, and bringing our kids into the presence of God. And you'll be surprised. So you say, oh, well, they don't understand. They understand. Moms and dads, they're getting more than, they, than you think they are. 
They might be rolling their eyes. They might, they might look like they're sleeping, but I'm telling you, when you get them around God's presence. And so in that moment on that Wednesday, uh, Pastor Wesley said, 18 and up, step forward. And there was a bunch of them. And we got to lay our hands on them and just pray over them and bless them and release them. And it was amazing. It's just this amazing moment that just kind of happened. But we want to we wanna take advantage of both intentional moments and just life lesson moments where we step in and actively engage the next generation. Listen to me. Fathers will win the future. Mothers will win the future. It is not those who make the laws or the movies or the policies that will win the future. Because when you have a fatherless generation, they're not looking for a policy from Washington, D.C. They're looking for a spiritual father to step in and say, this is how to be a man of God. A daughter's looking in for a spiritual mother to step in. Spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers will win the future. So as you step in, and I release that over you, I release that over the house step in and be a spiritual mom or a spiritual dad to somebody and we will raise the next generation to seek revival come on somebody say amen to that it's the final thing we lose the light we can lose the light when we criticize what's wrong but don't fight for what's right so Eli, the news came to Eli sitting there in a chair the news came to Eli the ark of God has been captured it broke Eli's heart. He was distraught. It was not a uh, healthy man, and he was an elderly man, and it hit him so bad that the Bible says that his chair fell over. He broke his neck and died. And then uh, Phineas, so Hophni and Phineas, Eli's sons, Phineas's wife went into labor and birthed a child, and she named the child Ichabod. And Ichabod means that the glory has departed, the glory has, le has left. Here's my problem. That's the easy part. The easy part is to name the problem. I'm looking for somebody that's going to bring the solution. Like, don't just, don't just bring the broken, bring the fixing. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, earlier in Concord, Pastor Justin was talking about potluck. And I was about to have revival when I'm remembering the, the beauty of potluck. And part of the beauty of potluck was when people, uh, all the good southern cooks, brought the fixings. Like, like the cornbread and, and, and the, the okra and, and the sweet potatoes and the macaroni and cheese and all of that stuff. They brought the fixings. We don't need this. This world does not need any more people, especially any more people in the church to be walking around. Hey, Ichabod, Ichabod, glory's left. Yep, best days are behind us. Ichabod, we got all kinds of problems. Country's in trouble. Yeah, Ichabod, political system, so, bro so broken, Ichabod. That's fine. It is, but bring a solution. Like step in, step in with the light. Like, hey, it's dark. It's dark. It's dark outside. Did anybody have a flashlight? Like, does anybody want to step in with any type of solution? And, and so we need what we need are bright spots. So sociologists actually call, call it this. When there are widespread, far-reaching, overarching problems, you can either focus on the problem or you can focus on some people in the middle of when everybody else, it seems like everybody else is broken and confusion and they're losing in life. There are bright spots. And what bright spots say is, okay, that person's winning. How? How are they winning? Let's do that. So, for example, 1990, 
There was a gentleman, he and his family, he worked for a, a health organization and there was malnourishment, widespread malnourishment in Vietnam. And so this individual stepped into that situation and he was supposed to bring some solution to that. He and his family landed in Vietnam and the government was not excited that they were there, did not receive a warm welcome. The government said, you got six months, um, go into this village. If we don't see any, any solution in six months, you're going you're gonna to leave. And so the guy uh, did not speak Vietnamese, it was a, a small staff, a small budget and he walked into this village and he saw of course the problem he saw malnourished children he saw just all kinds of stuff that wasn't good but he was looking around he's he's like okay among all of these kids well there there's a healthy child and there's a healthy child and wait a second there there's a healthy child and they had access to the same resources Right, so it wasn't like it wasn't like these the healthy children had access to food that the other ones didn't. They all had access to the same resources. So he brought the healthy families together and he started asking the mamas of the healthy kids, "What are you doing?" And what he found out was a couple of things. First of all, the parents would work in the rice fields during the days, and he found out that parents of the healthy children wouldn't just bring rice home. They would catch some small shrimp and some small crabs, and they would feed shrimp to the children. Now, the, the widespread practice of the village was that shrimp wasn't a child's food. They weren't trying to be mean. They were just like, shrimp isn't for kids. Kids don't like shrimp, so we're not going to feed that to them. But the, but the parents of the healthy kids, they were feeding their, parent, their kids shrimp. And then the other thing that they found is the parents of the healthy kids were feeding their kids sweet potato greens. And the thing with sweet potato greens in that culture was that sweet potato greens, you didn't eat those unless that was like the lowest food for the lowest class. And unless you were ready to absolutely die of starvation, you didn't eat that. Well, what's guy was saying was like there is nutritional value in the shrimp and in the sweet potato greens. So if you guys, if the rest of you will do what the healthy people are doing and mix this together, we'll fast forward at the time at the end of that six months in his village, 65% of those malnourished children were growing, were thriving, were healthy, and then it multiplied. It went on to reach 2.2 million people across the country of Vietnam in 265 villages because somebody didn't point out the problem. They found a bright spot and stepped in as a solution. As a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what you are. You're a bright spot. You're a bright spot. I know everybody else is talking about the problem. You're the bright spot. I know everybody else is being negative at work. You're the bright spot. I know the locker room talk high school student on your football team is not good, but you're the bright spot. I know everybody else is cheating to get into college, but you're the bright spot. I know things are not going well in your home, but you are the bright spot. You are a carrier of the presence of God. And when you carry the presence of God, you step in not as the problem, but as the solution. You're a bright spot. Moses was a bright spot. Moses was a bright spot. Everybody else was pointing out the problem. Moses, why'd you bring us out here in the wilderness? Better in Egypt. We had food in Egypt. We don't have any bread. We don't have any run out of food. Moses, we're running out of water. Why'd you take out us out into the wilderness to die? And, and, and God says, Moses, I've chosen you. I've appointed you. I'm going to win this victory. You've got this. I'm going to make you great. So go. But these people were grumbling, not really happy with them. So you go. I'm going to send a representative. I'm going to send a couple of angels. But I'm not real thrilled with them. So you go. You lead them. I'll give you victory. But I'm not going with you. Moses said, no deal, no chance. I am not going out from the, I love this prayer, like this stuff, sometimes prayer, prayer's a lot of things, sometimes prayer is like a holy stubbornness, God, I'm not moving, 
I'm not moving unless you go with me. I'm not moving unless your very presence goes with me. And you just kind of dig in your heels. I got to have you, God. I got to have you in my situation. I got to get an answer. I got to. And so God says, Moses, okay, you got it. I will go with you. And then this is what I love about Moses. He ups the ante again. He says, he says, that's awesome, God, but I want more. I want more. And he says, God, show me your glory. And what I love about that prayer is part of my interpretation of what Moses was saying was Moses was saying, I don't just want a miracle. I want to see the source. I don't just want a healing. I want the source of that healing. I don't just want my finances to be better. I want the source of that. God, I don't just want what you can do for me in my life, but I want to see your face. I want to see your glory. And God says, okay, but you can't handle my glory. So I'm going to take you up onto the mountain and I'm going to pass in front of you, but I'm going to hide your eyes and you can't see my face because no man can see my face and live. But I'm going to put my hand over your eyes and I'm going to allow you to see kind of the back of my glory. And so when Moses came down to the mountain, came down the mountain, his situation had not changed. The people were still grumbling. The people still weren't great. But he stepped down in there. And before 1970s disco, Moses was like the first neon. He came down and his face was radiating and his face was glowing in the darkness, he was a bright spot. And so that's what we're saying during these 10 days of prayer is, God, this church in this community is going to be a bright spot. God, in my life, whatever situation, I don't know what dark situation you're facing, but God put his presence in you to be a bright spot. And every time that you go into the prayer room or the prayer closet or driving down the, driving down the road and you say, God, show me your glory, fill me with your glory glory and maybe maybe it's at your bedside or maybe it's at your car or maybe it's in in this concord auditorium at six o'clock in the morning and you kneel down and you say god i gotta have you i gotta have you i'm desperate for you don't send me from this place don't send me into my ministry god i can't lead worship without you god i don't want to preach another sermon without your presence god i can't raise my kids i can't be a dad without you whatever whatever it is and you're calling out god show me your glory and in that moment maybe like maybe you feel something and maybe you sense something in that moment and you come down and you say man I felt something I encountered something but then maybe like Moses you step back into your situation and your situation hasn't changed you ever been there have you ever been there where you went to prayer and asked God to do something and your situation didn't get better, it got worse? I'll tell you what the enemy starts doing in that moment. The enemy starts rapid firing with discouragement and saying things like this, you're not making a difference. You're not making a difference. Your life isn't making a difference. You've been witnessing to the same person and they're, they're getting further away from me. You, you've been inviting them to church and they haven't, they haven't come to church. They're not going to come to church yet. Your prayers aren't making a difference. 
You're getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and now you're just tired. That's the only difference. You're, you're fasting, and now you're just hungry and grumpy. You're not, you're not making a difference. And so we can start to think because we're looking with our physical eyes at our situation that we're not making a difference. But here's what we have to do in those instances is we can't go on what our physical eyes see. We have to rely on the Word of God. And what the Word of God says is that when you step into His presence, you are filled with His glory and you become a bright spot you become a bright spot you are filled with light you are filled and so what happens is that when according to the word of God you step back into a situation that has darkness in that darkness what happens is you begin to glow you begin to glow you begin to radiate you begin to light it up Come on, how many of you would say, I want to be a light, I want to radiate, I want to glow, I want to light it up with the presence of God. Come on, somebody, step in. there's no light inside of you there's no life inside of you you know that there's more to this but the lights are off the good news this morning is that the presence of God is in this place and he came to breathe his breath of life into your lungs so that you can live wide awake to the love of God and fully alive in your purpose and all it is is accepting Jesus letting the light of all mankind into the middle of your life so if that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed and you walked in this place today and you said, Pastor Justin, there's no light in me. There's no life in me. I, I need more. I need Jesus. Then this is your moment. It all begins with one simple prayer. And so I know who I'm praying with in this room. If that's you, you say, that's me. I, I want to live wide awake and fully alive just so I know where you're at. It's a sign of surrender to the Lord. If at the count of three, you would just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to live wide awake and fully alive. One, Jesus loves you. Two, he died for you. Three, you can live wide awake and fully alive. If that's you, just raise your hand all across this auditorium right now. 
Amen. Amen. I got you. Church, church, can we all pray this prayer together right now? Say, Father, I confess that I'm a sinner. And you're my only hope. You're the only way out. I thank you this morning for the gift of your son on the cross that gave me life, that allows me to live wide awake to your love and fully alive in my purpose. Today I give you all of me. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate with those that gave their life to the Lord and became wide awake and fully alive for the first time? Hey there, and thank you so much again for joining us for CFA Church Live. If you made the decision to live wide awake and fully alive for the first time, we want to hear about it. Send us a message and we'll get somebody to partner with you in this new walk of your life. Also, if you haven't had the opportunity to visit one of our beautiful campuses, next week is a great time to do so. You can go to cfachurch.com and plan out your visit that way. Until then, I pray you continue loving Jesus and changing the world. Thank you.